Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise God. Let's stand together. So good to see each of you in the house of the Lord. Pastor did a great job of welcoming all of you and, and honoring our baby dedication families today. So I'm going to get right into the word. Is that all right? Gospel of John, chapter 18, and verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Chedron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Jesus loved gardens. And today I'm going to show you how much time and how victorious he was because he was the world's greatest gardener. And today my title is Better Homes and gardens. Better homes and gardens. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Pastor, for honoring me and giving me this opportunity. As you've already expressed, these, both of these families are very, very important to me. Why would God choose gardens to spend so much time? Gardens are a quiet place. They are a solitary place. They are a place of beauty. They are a place of escape from the rigors of life. There are more than just flower gardens, though. There are vegetable gardens. Many people have vegetable gardens these days. We also have gardens that we use for fruit. We grow fruit in gardens. And uh, you might disagree with me on this, but I'm going to say it because I think it's true. I even think that the woods is a garden. It's a garden of trees. Now, I love the woods. I know my wife loves flowers. She'd like to have a vegetable garden. But for me, the woods. And when I think of the woods, I think again of the quiet. A place where there's no cell phones, no movies, no television, no interaction with anybody but God and you yourself. A place of examination and a place of quiet where things can come back into their proper perspective and their proper role. I believe that America needs better homes, not bitter houses. Better homes, not bitter houses. My wife made this perfectly clear Well. We were pastoring very early in our ministry. She said, I, I've noticed something, that we are having too many counseling sessions in our home. She said, I would like to suggest that we have no more counseling in our home, that our home become an exclusive sanctuary. A sanctuary. What do you think of when you think of a sanctuary? You're in one today. You're in a sanctuary. Surely you've been able to acknowledge the presence of the Lord since you've been here. You know that somebody's going to get up and preach a good message. And you felt the presence of God during the choir and the worship. You felt it when you came to an altar and you prayed perhaps before the service. It's, it's a special place. It's a place for you to get away and be with God. But what about our homes? Should not our homes become a garden? and a sanctuary for our families? Shouldn't there be a place where we can pray, where we can even sing and fellowship and have good, godly conversation? There was a Jewish rabbi and a Christian pastor that were having a conversation. And the Christian pastor asked the rabbi and he said, what is it that's so different between Judaism and Christianity. If you could cite one major difference, what would that difference be? 
And the rabbi said, well, we do things exactly the opposite of Christianity. In Christianity, you believe your churches are responsible for raising your children up. But in Judaism, we believe that the family and our homes are the place that our children are to be grown and to be raised up. He quoted uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, and I'd like to read it to you. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Can I get an amen? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart, and you will teach them diligently unto your children. And you will talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Sounds like it's pretty much all the time growing, teaching, and training, and growing a garden called Home. Home. That's what a home is meant to be. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now a field left to itself is a weed patch. You will not have to plant weeds this spring. And if you just leave it grow and call it wild, it will not produce any fruit. It will not be beautiful. It will be a weed patch. But if you want to have a garden, you're going to have to till some things. Preach with me now. You're going to have to prepare the soil. You're going to have to water the soil. You're going to have to watch it and, and pull the bigger weeds out of it if you want it to produce and if you want it to be beautiful. It takes a lot of work. And that's something that I think is lacking even in our society today. It's easier just to not have kids. Now, I'm at a stage now where grandparenting, oh man, grandparenting is great. I sometimes love to see the frustration that my children now have. As you sowed, so will you reap. And I, 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 I chuckle, I try not to laugh out loud, but I'm smiling because I get to spoil them now. I, we get to be the good cop. Where's my wife? Don't you enjoy being a grandparent, being a good cop? Now I'm going to throw this in now that I got your attention. I'm going to throw this in. This happened uh, in December of this year. I was, Brother Gerbing, again, you did a great job today. Awesome. I, and I enjoyed it so much. That's a great preacher. That was great preaching today. But I, I was praying for my children, one of those hedge prayers, and the Lord spoke to me uh, about my grandchildren. And he asked me to do something, and and I went to my wife and I said, honey, this is what I believe the Lord wants us to do with our grandchildren. I believe the Lord wants us to buy each of them a Bible, a Search for Truth 2 Bible in particular. It has the chart inside of it, you know, with the complete Bible study in it. It's already in the Bible. Flip chart and everything's right there. And so we bought each of them a Bible. We called them up to the man cave talked to each of them at the same time and said, Grandma and I, we want to give you a gift. The gift is this Bible. We give it to you. This is not a Christmas gift. It has nothing to do with Christmas. It's a gift from Grandma and I to you. And we give this Bible with an invitation. We would like to have Sunday night home Bible studies at our house. Grandma and I will share the teaching you can ask all the questions you want and we can spend some precious, precious time together. All of my grandchildren are with us on Sunday nights in a Bible study, teaching Search for Truth too. And what a blessing it is. I didn't say that 
so that you'd think I'm special or my wife is. I said that to offer it as a suggestion for you to grow your gardens. Grow your gardens. Learn from the rabbi. You see, the church will support the home, but it can't take the place of the home when it comes to the raising of the children. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. So our better homes will become our gardens. Now let me show you how exact that this particular topic is. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, after the establishment of a relationship with Adam and God, it says, Genesis 2 and 8, that the Lord planted a garden. He planted it eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15 says, And the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The first job that any man ever had was to be a gardener. Why? Because in learning how to grow a garden, you would be able to learn how to grow a family you would understand the process and the value of a step-by-step process that would eventually yield proper fruit. Do you know what the last book of the Bible is, Revelation? And in the 21st chapter, it describes a garden, crystal rivers, the beauty of heaven that all of us want to be a part of. So the beginning is with a garden in Eden. And the end is a garden in heaven. And in between is what we call life. It's life. And life is not always easy. Sometimes it can be hard. But we're growing a garden. Consider this. What were the 12 disciples? Jesus' garden. He approached them. He invited them. He ministered to them for three and one half years. He expected fruit to come from what he invested in. They were his garden. And he said that he would build his church. That's his garden. And that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. It belongs to him. And no devil in hell can destroy his garden. He's growing your life. No matter how old you are or how young you are, you can become a part of God's garden. God's, the greatest victories that he ever had on earth, I'm just going to mention a couple of them and then stop today. The greatest victories Jesus ever had all took place in gardens. How about the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays a prayer and acknowledges that he doesn't want to partake of this cup, and then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That was his greatest victory. Oh, you say, oh, no, it's not. His victory was at Calvary. His his victory was at the resurrection. There is no Calvary. And there is no resurrection without yielding your will to God's will, without accepting what you don't want for something greater that you do. The Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was betrayed in a garden. John 19 and 41, he was buried in a garden. John 19, 41. Now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new sepulcher wherein was never a man yet laid. There laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jewish preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Crucified, buried in a garden. John chapter 20 in verse 13, resurrected in a garden. Woman, why weepest thou? 
She said unto them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you've borne him hence, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Why would she suppose him to be the gardener when she couldn't recognize him? Was it because there was dirt on his knees, sweat on his brow, dirt on his garments, where he'd been running around in the dirt and making things more beautiful? Is it possible that he had all the identity of a gardener because that's exactly what he is? He is, the, as Mary called it, the master gardener. The master gardener. And he's working on your life right now. He might be tilling your soil. And if you're the soil, that's not pleasant. There might have to be some dung, that fertilizer that needs to come on top of you. And that's not pleasant. There might have to be some rain. But all of that is a process by which he can grow his garden. So you see, our homes need to become gardens. To people that are my age, I want to say this to you today. People, you're in your 60s, 70s, or above. Let me say this to you. you your time is not up. I said, your time is not up. There is no retiring from Christianity until you're dead. So listen, you that are a little older, and I'm one of you. Psalm 92 and 13 says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God and they shall bring forth fruit. That's what gardeners do. Bring forth fruit in their old age. We still got something to offer. We're not just gonna sit by. We're involved. We're connected. We're in this and we're gonna produce fruit because we are also fat. But we're flourishing. And we will show that the Lord is upright. See if I can get an amen to this. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And one of my favorite verses of scripture in the Bible, 3 John, Verse four, concerning gardening, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That's my greatest joy. What have you accomplished, Brother Kylie, with your life? Not much. Do you have a million dollar home? No. What kind of car do you drive? How many suits you got? How much money's in the bank? None of that stuff means anything. Means nothing. I'll tell you what means something. To know that my children, my wife and I, continue to walk in truth. That's what matters to me. That's what I value. Better homes and gardens. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I refer to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Luke 2 and 21. It was also said that we are a Bible church by many people here today. We are a Bible church. If it's in the Bible, we believe it and we obey it. That means there's going to be a change taking place. And the Lord is not the one that's going to do the changing. I am the Lord, I change not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if somebody's going to change, guess who it is? It's me. 
to comply with him. Jesus was not baptized as an infant. He was baptized at the age of 30. However, he was dedicated, brought to the temple as an infant. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21 reads this way. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And, verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Four people have roles in a dedication. Number one, the mother must complete her purification since giving birth. Number two, the male child must be circumcised after eight days and he is not allowed back into the temple for a minimum of 40 days. Number three, the father will bring the family and he will also bring the sacrifice. In this case, Joseph brought two doves. And finally, the priest. The priest will receive the child from the mother will lift the child up into the air and he will pray a, a prayer of blessing on the child. You can read about it in verse 28. After that is complete, the child will be given back to the mother and the priest will put one hand on the mother's head and one hand on the father's head and then he will pray a blessing on that couple according to verse 34. With that illustration, we would like to layer these children today. So I'm asking that the parents and the children be brought first. If you'd like to bring them up right now and stand on either side of this pulpit, Stephan and Mariah and Matt and Heidi. And now that they've had a chance to come, then we're going to layer them, the hedge that Brother Gerbing talked about, we're going to layer them with relatives. If you are a relative of one of these two children, we want you to come and gather around them. Relatives first, blood relatives, not spiritual blood yet. We'll give the family a chance to gather around first. Looks pretty even here. This is good. All right, now that you're all in position, then we will invite the spiritual family of these two to gather around. So spiritual family, church family, come and gather around. And then... I will turn the actual dedication and the prayer of blessing over to Pastor Cordell. I'll be there. I'd like, I'd like the family and the body. We're going to pray for Malaya and her folks. We're going to pray for her. Then we'll do the dedication. And then I'm going to pray over mom and dad. And then... We'll move to uh, Oliver. Okay, sound good? So let's pray together for the family in Jesus' name. Lord God, we're thankful for these young people, Lord, their dedication to you, Lord, their desire to do your will and to be faithful to you, Lord God. Lord, to cover them today, we ask you, Jesus, bless this family, bind them together with strength and courage, Lord God, to face every single day as, as mother and father and all the challenges that life will bring. We ask that you bless them mightily, Lord God. Lord, let this family, both blood relatives and church family, spiritual alike, Lord God, encamp around them, Lord Jesus, to bless them and watch over them and guide and lead them, Lord God, and continue to bless them, Lord. Be a resource, be a help to them, Lord God, that we be bound together as one, Lord, for your purpose and for your glory. 
In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Think she'll be all right? Hi. Hi. <laughs> all right. In Jesus' name, right now, Lord, Lord, we dedicate. Lord, little Malaya today, Lord God, we pray a blessing upon this sweet young life. God, protect her, watch over her, Jesus, guide and leader in her life, Lord God, that she would always be covered by you, seeking you, hungry in her heart, God, for your way and your will in her life, Lord God, that you would bless every step that she takes throughout her walk, Lord God, her education, Lord, her friends, her family, and all the things that she'll encounter in this life. We pray and we dedicate her to you this morning, Lord God. We dedicate this precious life to you, Lord, that you would take her into your hand. Lord, that she would be precious and special to you all the days of her life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. And there she is. Lord, we dedicate her to you today, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right. Pray over mom and dad. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, I pray for these young people, Lord. Lord, just continue to guide and lead them in their way, Lord. Lord, make them hungry for you, God, that they would bind always together looking for your will and your way in their lives, Jesus. God, as mother and father, but also as husband and wife, as neighbor, as Christian family member, in every role that they play, Lord, let them reflect you, God, your holiness and your perfectness, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be a great source to them, God, a covering for them, and we'll give you thanks and the glory in, in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen, 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 in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All right. All right, let's gather together. We're going to pray over the Lowersdorf family and that we'll bless them as a family uh, together as well in Jesus' name. God, right now we lift up the Lowersdorf family, Lord God, that you again would continue to be a source to them, God, a blessing to them, Lord Jesus, that you would always guide and lead them in your way. God, your will is perfect and it's always wonderful, Lord, but not without challenge. We would ask, Lord, that you would just always give them strength and courage and fire, Lord God, to continue to follow you, Lord Jesus. God, bind together this, this family of blood, but this family of spiritual nature as well, God, that they would always be a support. We would be acting as one, united together, Lord God, blessing their home, blessing their family, blessing their children. Lord God, for your purpose, for your glory, and for your honor, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All right, you think he's going to be all right? Okay, all right. All right. All right. All right, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, right now. Lord, together we dedicate Oliver to you, Lord God. We pray a special blessing and anointing upon his life, God. Lord, that every day of his life, every step that he takes, that you walk with him, protect him, and guide him and lead him, Lord God. Anoint him, Lord, for your purpose and for your call. Lord, build a hedge of protection around him as well, God, protecting his steps, protecting his way. God, within family, with his friends, with his school, in all that he does for the rest of his days and all the days of his life, God. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for this precious life, and we pray that blessing upon him today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, we dedicate Oliver to you today, God. Take him into your hands, Lord, and bless this little one. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Here we go. All right. I pray for mom and dad in Jesus' name. Lord, right now, I pray a special anointing, God, upon Matt and Heidi, Lord Jesus. Lord, as they continue to move forward, raising their family in you, God, that they would be the cent you would be the center of their life, God, that you would bless them. Give them courage and strength and vision every single day to raise their children to seek your will in their way in their lives, Lord God. Lord, that they would put you at first, Lord Jesus. Watch over them, Lord, and all this, the blood family, God, and the Christian family alike would bind together as one, Lord, for their purpose, to protect and cover them and watch over them and love them, God. As we move, Lord Jesus, desperately seeking your will and your way in our lives, God, bless them today, Lord God. Bless them today and all the days of their lives as well, Lord Jesus. We give you the thanks and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I think it would be appropriate if we just said a great praise and a thank you to God for the work that he's doing right now with these two little ones. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, for keeping them safe and watching over them. God, the blessings you're going to bring in their life. Lord, we praise and we worship you, Lord, for the work you're already doing. Thank you, God, for your call. Thank you, God, for your call. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You can make your way back to your seats. I've just got just a couple more minutes to spend with you. And then uh, 
we'll have our time together of fellowship after service today. You can remain seated this morning. I'm going to just move right on in to our messages. I prepared and prayed for little Oliver and little Malaya today, seeking what God would leave with you, their family, and with our church family. Baby dedications are extremely important. It is important that we're always mindful of continuing to bring into the fold these young ones and pray for them and add them to our prayer lists and and always be there for them. And when we see them as they begin to grow and, and, and move around, we run around in the hallways and things like that, be kind to them, embrace them. Uh, there's, there's just so much important about the impact that we have on these young lives. And, and so to dedicate them to the Lord, but to be a part of that process reminds us that uh, we're gonna help their mom and dads. We're gonna help them in this process to keep them connected to the family of God. We're gonna love those children and make sure that they know that they're loved in their church family as well as their home family. When I was a kid growing up a thousand years ago, I remember it was, it was very common for people to ask you the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Probably had that question come. And so when I was a kid, that, that was real easy. The answer was always something really cool like astronaut or, or teacher or policeman or fireman. That, that was usually a big one because that's glamorous and exciting. And of course, television programs made policeman and fireman kind of the number one deal there because every... That's all we had, three channels and a lot of cop shows. Nowadays, of course, you ask a child that and they'll say something like molecular biologist or theoretical physicist or, or a barista, which when I was growing up, we didn't have that word. I don't even know what that, what, I'm not sure what it means now, but I know that I get coffee and that's good. But someday Oliver and Malay are going to be asked those questions and I wonder, I wonder what they would say in response to that. But no, the, no matter the path that, that, you, that you've chosen in life as Christian moms and dads and, and brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors, I believe that we all, we all have a call on our lives specifically to be firemen. So whatever it is that you do in, in your daily life or what you're on your way to doing if you're in school, regardless of all of that as Christians, I believe based on the word and based on what I see from God, yeah, we're definitely called to be gardeners, Brother Kylie. That's, there's no d- doubt about that. But without a fireman, the garden would burn. I think we're called to be firemen. The world we live in right now is, is often on fire. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I alluded to it just a little while ago. I've talked about it here from the pulpit, pulpit before. One way or another, it just seems like, like we're surrounded by fire. We're surrounded by the intensity of this world and what it offers. I, I, I shudder a little bit without dedication and without our covering in prayer for these little ones. I shudder to think about the little ones that have to go out into this world every day. I drive to and from for church here and other meetings and things like that and sometimes I see those little peanuts at the, at the bus stop and they're climbing onto the, just little teeny, little teeny ones. And I, sometimes I think, how did you get there? How did you even know where to go? You're so little. And, and, and they're getting onto the bus, and, and I think about where they're headed. And, 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 and even within our school systems, there's, 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 there's so many challenges, and there's things that scare me and, and that are so frightening. But it just seems we're surrounded in, in, in fire and in controversy. And, and, of course, we know that there's, there's violence and there's wars going on. And, and I talked about this recently, even the, the political unrest and, and, and all of that stuff that we see every single day as parents and moms and dads and brothers and sisters. Um, and the fire is scary, and, and it, it's, it's frightening, and sometimes it's just easier to, to sit down in front of our tele- televisions and, and just zone out and, and get away from everything that's out there. But I want to challenge you today, moms and dads, brothers and sisters. we got to be firemen. we got to be willing to face those things as Christians, as parents, as people with responsibility, as gardeners. We've got to be willing to be firemen. The half-brother of Jesus, Jude, the one that was planted kind of right between Joseph and James, you know, if you look in the Bible, he's got a, he's got a snippet. He's got a, a pamphlet of a message. It's the second to the last book in the Bible. There's not much of it there. It's just a little afterthought. But I believe it's because Jude, Jude didn't really get it at first, Brother Kylie. He, he, Jude was kind of along for the ride, and he was the half-brother of Jesus. And, and of course, he grew up in the household with him. And, but I don't think he really got it until days after when, when the resurrection was there and he got to see everything become real. They say, they say Thomas was the doubting guy, but Jude, I don't think, really got a hold of it until he had that revelation when Jesus appeared and began ministering before his final ascension. 
And so even when he starts the book out in the Bible, he doesn't even acknowledge himself as the half-brother of Jesus. He calls himself the servant of Jesus, the half-brother of James. But what he unfolds is a very short but very powerful message, a prelude to the book of Revelation and what we're, what, what's, what's yet to come. And this powerful role, I believe, in our job to become firemen. If you will turn with me this morning to the book of Jude. So you're going to go way back to the right side. It's one chapter. One chapter. Jude chapter 1, and starting at verse 17, says this. I'm reading from the ESV version, the English Standard Version. It says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, And I hope that you saw some of that today, that you witnessed that today. And this is throughout the word of God. We're encouraged again to pray in the Holy Spirit, engage in the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is our fire. That's our fire. And that's the fire that we're going to use to fight fire with, right? That's the old phrase, fight fire with fire. That's our fire, praying in the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Here is all call, verse 23. And save others by snatching them out of the fire. The job of the fireman. It's not easy. I read up, I went to a website called firerecruit.com and I wanted to know more of the qualifications and what it is to be a fireman. Of course, when we were kids and we had that, we, we watched the old TV show, Emergency and Rescue and all that. And, and everything, of course, was you, you go into, Elizabeth's laughing because she's a fireman. She's a firefighter herself. And so you, 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 all you saw was the alarm goes off in the, in, in, in the, in the station and they slide, you get to slide down the pole. Isn't that exciting? And, and um, you jump in the fire truck and the next thing you're, do, you're, holding, you're holding the hose and you're putting the fire out, right? Everybody gets to do that and that's all they do, right? No, not so. The majority of the time that firefighters have is spent in education, prevention, communication, working with the other firefighters, training, and so on. As a matter of fact, the smallest part, Brother Kylie, of what a firefighter does is actually stand in front of the fire putting it out. They're doing more rescue and training and education to help people to stay out of the fire. Come on, preach with me now. More education to prevent than they are actually fighting the fires. Fighting the fires are the smallest thing that the fire will do. Now I know that for prevention, for example, the Milwaukee Fire Department hands out uh, smoke alarms. They go door to door and they knock on doors and, uh, and they actually give away sometimes free smoke alarms because what they know that in, in the city of Milwaukee, it's a metropolitan area, so it's very condensed and fires and they're very old buildings. Uh, Milwaukee, of course, this, this part of the state, that's where you're gonna find the oldest and most inefficient buildings and bad electrical and all those things. But the problem is, is they don't have alarms. They don't have smoke alarms. There's no prevention. And so what happens is every year, year after year, these houses burn down and these precious little ones perish in these fires. And so the fire department goes door to door through these neighborhoods giving out these smoke alarms and training people how to use them and keeping them operating and checking on them from time to time and replacing the batteries and and, and doing all of those good things. The little ones, the little ones don't know the danger. They don't know what it is when when they, they feel a little bit warmer because something's going on in the house and it's real hot all of a sudden. They they don't know. When the smoke is pouring through, maybe, maybe dad burnt the toast. They smell smoke. They don't know. And no one's taught them. And, and so this education process goes on and they actually gather together people and they do special events and they teach them and they train them and they teach them in the schools. 
They just don't know, and they don't know what to do. And so when, when something like that does happen, they run into closets and they hide under beds, or, or they go places they shouldn't go that, would, that, that are more dangerous than if they knew to flee and escape. Brother Kylie, they go places they don't belong. They go to closets and they hide under beds. They go places than other what has been determined for them for their safety. Are you preaching with me this morning? But then even then, sometimes the alarms aren't even enough. Studies have been done that without education, coming to church, and without practice, come on now, children still don't pay attention to the alarms. I've seen video of it. They've done studies. Some of these Friday night TV news shows have put these things on where they put kids in these rooms and they set a fake smoke thing going on and they make the alarms go off and the kids just stay in bed because there was no education. See, they don't understand. They don't know. And sometimes I think we as Christians, we can smell the smoke and we kind of see the fire away off, but if we haven't done our study if we haven't been educated, if we don't understand what this means, what the significance of it is, what is the chance that we're going to go to the right place? Come on now, I know you're hearing me this morning. People have become so accustomed to the alarms, false alarms, TV preachers, some of these doomsday characters out there that are preaching all this crazy stuff. See, those are alarms. They end up nowhere. They don't do anything. There's no real fire. There's, no, there's nothing to what they're doing. And so it's all become white noise. It's, oh yeah, you're just another preacher standing at the pulpit telling me some story. And they don't understand that there are those of us who get into the word of God. We know what the word of God says. We know what there is to prepare for. And we're teaching, we're training, and we're trying to get that message out. And we're raising the right alarms. We're raising the alarms that the little ones need to know. Bible says, God, Jesus himself said, except you become as little children, you'll not even see the, chil- the, the kingdom of God. You've got to be like children, prepared to learn, willing to say, yes, I'll listen. I'll, I, I want to know. I want to be trained and taught and brought up the right way because I want to escape the fire. Amen. Firemen going through a blazing apartment building. Smoke alarms going off, fire alarms going off, the fire blazing in some part of the building. Oftentimes, these guys have to beat on the door and bang on the door because the residents have heard it all before. They'd, they've heard that fire alarm before. Half the time, it was the maintenance man tripping the trigger somehow or something went wrong with it. And they're beating on the door and they're begging, ma'am, sir, please come out of your house. Please come out. This is a real fire. This is not a, a drill. Sometimes we feel as pastors and leaders and ministers, Brother Rob, we feel like we're standing at the door, beating on the door, saying, please, there's a real fire. There's a real fire. This isn't a drill. This isn't a drill. You've got to come. And every year in this city, people perish in their homes because they waited too long. Because they said, well, I got a few things to gather up. I've got some things I got to do. Come on now, preach with me. I got a few other things I got to do here. I got to save some family photos. I got to, I don't even know if it's really real. By the time I get outside, the fireman will have that put out. It's no big deal. It's, it's far away from me. Folks, I'm here to tell you today. It's not far away. The alarm is real. The word of God says it again and again. And I'll share it with you in just a moment. Jude talks about the scoffers, by the way. If you read through that whole chapter, it takes about 13 seconds. I'd I'd acknowledge to do it. But some don't believe it's a fire. Some falsely believe that they're safe, as I said. Some people just sleep right on through it. The Bible warns about that, too. The Bible has an alarm. It says, don't sleep. Don't sleep as some do. Don't be asleep thinking everything's okay. See, because when it comes comes time for the Lord to come back, and he's coming back, and I know we've heard it for years and years, and folks, if it's a strange thing for you to hear, and we want to put that away, I want to tell you, this is a Bible-believing church. If you believe that there's a God, then you got to believe that there's a devil. If you believe that there's a heaven, then you got to believe that there's a hell. And sometime he's coming back for this creation, I don't know how long he's going to tarry. But when he does, there isn't a pre-alarm. There's not a smoke alarm that says, oh, I smell smoke. I bet you God's coming in a couple of weeks or so. I better get my affairs in order. I better do some things a little bit better. You know what? I'm going to go back to that church and see that guy that was hammering about alarms the other day. 
It doesn't work like that because when that alarm goes off, the Bible says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and they that are alive shall meet him in the air. In a twinkling of an eye, that's the alarm. That's the trump that will sound. But the alarms that you could hear, the, the alarms that you can share, the training that you can do with your family, the training you can do with your children are the alarms that are brought at a pulpit at a church of a church that loves God and prays and worships and acts as though they're thankful and they're happy that they've got a hold of something that's real because every single one of us that has this in our hearts has had someone pull us out of the fire and say, I'm going to save you. Here's the real truth. Pull me out of the fire, God. Pull me out of the fire. Amen. Sometimes they stay in their apartments until the flames are literally right at their door. And that's when brave souls with conviction run into those flames and pull them from a fire. Anybody in this room got somebody that they're tugging at right now? They're heading in the wrong direction. Their lives are dedicated to the wrong things. Their ears are stopped up. They're not even in a position to begin to hear the alarms. And we're pulling at them. We're pulling at them. Right here in our own church, not just a few weeks ago, just a couple of weeks ago, we were in the middle of our worship service. My dear sweet daughter-in-law, Brianna, was up here praising worship with her worship team, and the fire alarms went off. A few of you were here. They just kept right on singing. They did. They, they just worshiped God. I think they figured, well, if there's a fire, we're worshiping God. His fire's stronger than ours or, or theirs. And we did. We were on through, but I knew that they were looking at me. They did a great job, by the way. And I would have expected them to continue to, to do business as usual and just believe that if there's an issue, we're, we're, we're going to be all right. There's exits, by the way, just so everybody knows. Right behind you, look like the lady in the airplane. Back here, back here. Fire exits. They didn't panic, didn't skip a beat, but they did look at me for a reaction. I could see they were checking me out. What do we do? They're singing, praise the Lord, and praise the Lord. It was a false alarm, and they finally, finally shut it off, but I wondered, I wondered, did I do a disservice to the congregation? Should I have stopped the service and immediately began filing people out the doors? as quickly as possible. Because someday, what if there is a fire? What if it's a fast burner? What if it's one that comes through quick and the alarms aren't, aren't even fast enough? And I wondered about that and it got me thinking about the fire alarm. I thought about the qualifications of a fireman and, and, and what the job does entail. As I said, I looked up that site, firerecruit.com, and... Uh, Listen, this is a quote directly from the site. Listen to the similarities for us Christian people seeking to do God's will. It says, a career as a fireman usually only requires a high school diploma or a GED. I put that in there because that says to me, anybody, anybody can be a fireman. You don't have to have a master's degree in pyrotechnology. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a pastor. Brother Rob, you don't have to carry a minister's license, right? Brother Kylie, you don't have to be the bishop of the church. Anybody can be a fireman. Firefighters are emergency response professionals specializing in the protection of people and property from fires. That's right down our wheelhouse, folks. You already know what the kindling is out there. You already know the things that are hurting and destroying people. You know that drug addiction and pornography and and violence and and alcohol and all of these things that are out there are being abused and used and dumped into our children's schools. You already know the kindling is out there. You know the fire to fight. We're emergency response professionals. When we see something happening, when we know that there's an issue, we know to spring into action. At least I hope we do if we take on the role of being a fireman. Firemen supply victims with initial, initial medical treatment for ailments like burns and shock. They're required to maintain, this is a hospital, folks. This is a hospital. 
Out there's the battlefield. Out there's the fighting of the fires. But when they come in here, this is where they find the balm of Gilead. This is where they find the peace. This is where they find the Holy Ghost. They should be embraced and loved and welcomed and comforted and fed. Initial medical treatment for ailments. They're required to maintain intensive fitness standards. Come on now. If you're a doctor, is there a doctor in the house? Anybody a doctor or have a doctorate degree? If there was, I would say this to you. I believe it is the responsibility of the Christian fireman to know the word of God greater than you know all of the manuals of how to be the doctor in whatever practice that you have. If you're a lawyer, I believe that you should know the word of God and the law of God greater than any lawyer would ever know from all the practice of law that he could ever conduct in. I believe that we should know the word of God in practice and fitness better than anybody knows any part of the vocation of the job that they do. That's what I believe. That's the call of the fireman in God's world. The position of the firefighter requires a great deal of, I'm still quoting this website now, by the way, a great deal of public and personal contact requiring a wide range of interpersonal skills. It is not the role of the fireman to spend all of his time in the firehouse just studying and just reading and only going to the fires. It's the role of the fireman to get out amongst the public and to have interpersonal skills and to train and to teach and do fire prevention and anything that that fireman can do to interact with his community, to build awareness and, 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 and public service in regards to the dangers of the fires. They need all, that just to be able, all of that just to be able to come call themselves firemen, to have the privilege to pull people from the fire. Fire is predominant in the teachings of the Bible. The importance of fire as the presentation of God's power, holy power, but also as a powerful force of judgment. So there's two kinds of fire in the Bible. There's the good fire and the bad fire. And it's our job to use the good fire, as I said a moment ago, to combat the bad fire. It's clear that our role as firemen in Christian walk is supremely important to Jesus. And looking at his own words throughout the gospel, you can see it again and again and again. This is the gospel, the same Bible every one of you have ever read. It's the same Bible you can find in any church in America. Open it up to the book of Matthew, for example. In Matthew chapter 3, you'll find a statement that says, every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Matthew 5 says that whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in the danger of hell fire. Matthew 7, he says again, every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Matthew 18 talks about if your hands or your feet or your eyes offend you, it's better that you would enter into the heaven without them to walk whole into the everlasting fire. Matthew 25 says to be judged to the judged who are on his left hand. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. He says in the book of Luke, I am come to send fire on the earth. That's his Holy Ghost fire. In John chapter 15, he says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast into the fire and they are burned. We don't serve a God who just accepts everything from everybody. He's not the all-loving, all-knowing, everybody's saved, everybody's going to heaven. God, that this church this world tells you in the lies that they tell. There is a fire and it's waiting for us. And if we're the firemen with the right fire, we can fight that fire and we can win. Amen. And it's our job to pull as many as we can out of the fire. It's clear that fire is the key. We need to pull as many as out as we can. We've got to keep them out. We've got to get the smoke alarms out there. We've got to get those things activated, the education going. We can do it, and he promises the help to do it. You know, he never promises to put the fire out. The fires of hell are, not, are never promised. You know, Jesus could say, poof, and it's gone. There's nothing in the word of God that ever says that God extinguishes the fires of hell. But I'll tell you this, he's got the keys. Jesus has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. The enemy doesn't even own the keys to his own home. And that in itself is powerful because hell is set for those who will not abide in him. And when it's all said and done, those that belong there will go there and it will be shut and will be far away. Isaiah 43, look at what Isaiah chapter 43 says. Isaiah 43, starting at chapter, excuse me, verse two. This is a promise. 
I'm reading again from the ESV version. It says this, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, because there's another kind of fire in the Word of God, as I said, and it's the Holy Ghost fire. Now, many of you can recall the story in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children. The king Nebuchadnezzar took a lot of Israel into captivity. They took the finest of the finest. They brought them into the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar began to create rules and laws that said that these boys had to worship things that they were not supposed to worship, and they refused to do it. And so Nebuchadnezzar had this amazing device they referred to in Scripture as the furnace. And the Bible says that they stoked Nebuchadnezzar. They wouldn't serve him. They wouldn't serve the gods, this, this statue that he built. And, and so uh, it, it was a decreed under law that they had to be destroyed. And so Nebuchadnezzar had this furnace fired up many times more hotter than it had ever been before. So much so, so much so that they stood before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, this is your destination. You've been tried. You've been convicted. You're going into that fire. It was so hot that when the men that had taken them bound up to go to throw them into the fire, they immediately were vaporized. The men, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel 3 says that those three Hebrew boys were cast in and fell down into the base of the furnace and they stood there completely unharmed. And they were just standing in there and nothing was happening to them. And Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace and he looked in and he said, wait a minute, didn't I say that there were three that were going into the fire? And they said, yes, your majesty. Three went into the fire, the three Hebrew boys. And he said, but lo, I see someone there. Wait a minute, there's a fourth. And he looked into the fire and he said, no, 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 I see one as it looks like the sun of man because what happened because they honored God because they served God because they were firemen themselves Jesus Christ wasn't up there looking up on down from on high he wasn't in the back of the room he wasn't somewhere not to be found I'm telling you this morning Jesus Christ was in the fire and he turned it into the Holy Ghost fire that we need That fire became something else that Nebuchadnezzar had never even determined it to be. When he saw that and he saw that the Son of Man was in there with those boys, he said, stop, 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 get them out of there, pull them out. They came out of the fire. Their clothes weren't singed. Their hair wasn't singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. That's the God we serve. If you're willing to become a fireman, if you're willing to take on the role, I want to be a fireman for God today. You can stand with me this morning. Malaya, if you're in the room, I want you to, your mom and dad to be firemen this morning. I want them to stand up for you. Stand up for what God's got. Become God's firemen. Oliver, you better tell mom and dad they better be a fireman today. Grandmas and grandpas, uncles and sisters, it's time to be firemen. It's time to get a hold of what this thing is. See, we're not victims of this world. We're not just going to stand by and say, well, whatever happens, we'll see what it does to us. No, no, no. We're going to charge into the flame. If Jesus Christ asked me to do it, I'd run into hell's flames with a squirt gun to pull one person out. And I'm going to keep on doing it. And keep on doing it. And I'm going to pull everyone I can get. Charles Spurgeon once said, if someone's going to go to hell over my ministry, then let it be over my dead body with my arms wrapped around their legs, holding tightly. And he preached that every single place he went to, fiery. Billy Sunday did the same thing. Nobody's going to hell on my watch. And if they do, it's over my dead body. The altar's open this morning. Gather together with your family, if you will. Let God speak to you, speak to your heart. Say, God, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a fireman because the word of God says I can do it. I'm protected. I'm safe. I can go through the, the fire without singe, without smoke, without pain. And I can help a few other people come along with me. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. We welcome you to join us at our altar every service. We come down, we get a hold of God. It's our opportunity to commune with him just a little bit. Talk to him just a little bit. It's at the altar of God where that Holy Ghost fire really gets stoked up. It's where people have, they begin to hear from God. They begin to feel God's presence. They know 
that God is directing them a certain way. Try it out. Give it a shot. Step on down and just talk to him. Firemen build altars. Firemen praise and worship their God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.